You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Amen. Well, uh, last week, Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, Pastor Joe addressed this tension that we've been seeing unfold before us as we, as a church, have walked through the book of Genesis into Exodus and now the book of Leviticus. It's a tension created by the fact that there is a holy living God in this world. And that holy living God seeks to make his dwelling place amongst us, a sinful people dwelling in a world of death. Today's text, Leviticus chapters 8, 9, and 10, that tension will come to a head. And it will come to a head at the location of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. The tension is not new at all when it comes to this tent. In fact, the tent of meeting is perhaps the place where this tension has been most apparent thus far. Remember, The tent of meeting was where the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as the man speaks to his friend. What nearness to the Lord. But note, Moses used to take this tent and pitch it outside the camp, far away from the people. What distance from the Lord. Exodus 40, the tabernacle of the tent of meeting will get moved. It will get set up in the very center of all the peoples. What nearness to the Lord. But note, God instructs that a seven and a half foot tall fence be put all around it so as to keep the common people from entering in. What distance from the Lord. The tabernacle, the tent of meaning, finally gets completed. And as soon as it gets completed, a cloud covers it. The glory of the Lord fills it. The glory of the holy God in the midst of the people. What nearness to God. But note, not even Moses was able, able to enter the tent now that the glory of the Lord had descended upon it. The separation has remained from that point, Exodus 40, all the way until now. That tension has sat there from Exodus 40 all the way until now. By now, the prescriptions for the sacrificial system have all been given. That was 1 to 7 of Leviticus. All the tools, all the materials, the altar, the basin, the utensils, the garments have all been prepared. But none of it, none of it has gone into motion. No one has yet to draw near to the Lord. All of it has been at a standstill until now. Here's some handles for the three chapters we're going to work through today. Chapter 8 is Moses prepares the priests. Moses prepares the priests. Chapter 9, the priests act on behalf of the peoples. The priests, they act on behalf of the peoples. Then chapter 10, the people mourn the sins of the priests. 
So we begin at chapter 8. Chapter 8, Moses prepares the priests. Chapter 8, the Lord speaks to man. He calls Moses. He says, get Aaron, get his sons, get the garments, get the oil, get the animals, get the bread, and assemble all the congregation together at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And this really is Moses calls the people to the edge of God's presence, part two. Part one, God in the cloud of glory at Sinai. Part two, God in the cloud of glory at the tabernacle. Part one, Moses calls the people to the foot of the mountain. Part two, Moses calls the people to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Part one, Moses brings Aaron with him into the mountain. Part two, Moses will bring Aaron with him into the tent of meeting. What's stunning is that here in part two, everything goes remarkably well. We see seven times over the refrain, as the Lord commanded. Verse 4, Moses brought the people forward as the Lord commanded. Verses 9 and 13, he clothed both Aaron and his sons in the priestly garments as the Lord commanded. Verse 17, he sacrificed the bull of the purification offering as the Lord commanded. 21, he burnt the ram of the ascension offering as the Lord commanded. 29, 36, he presents the ram for the ordination offering as the Lord commanded. It's all going remarkably well. What comes next? Well, this procession of offerings to atone for the priests is going to continue on for seven full days. Each day, they purify the altar. Each day, they sacrifice a bull for making atonement for the priests. See, the bar is set especially high for the priests. The bar of atonement, the bar of purification is set especially high because the priests are going to enter further into the presence of God than anyone else in all of the camp. And the closer in you go into the presence of God, the greater the covering needs to be. The closer you, in, you enter in to the presence of God, the more pure you need to be made. So this goes on for seven full days. And then we come to the eighth day. This is the day we move from the focus on Moses with the priests to this transition point the priests now working on behalf of the peoples. So chapter nine now begins. Take for yourself a bull and a calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord and say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, an ox and a ram for a peace offering, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil for, catch this, for today the Lord will appear before you. 
today, the Lord is going to appear before you. The tension is coming to a God, uh, is coming to a head here. Holy God, living God, and He's appearing today before this sinful people. So, how is He going to appear? How is He going to come? He's going to come through the mediation of the priests, specifically Aaron, the priest. But think about it, who's Aaron? Yeah, Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron is from the tribe of Levi. Aaron thus far has been the spokesman for God through the Exodus. Aaron is called a priest here in Leviticus. But who's Aaron? Aaron's a sinner. Aaron is a sinner dwelling in the land of death. As a sinner, he cannot approach God on behalf of the people unless he first makes a sacrifice for himself. As some have noted, the sacrifice the Lord prescribes for Aaron, it's a bit unique. These last seven days, the sacrifice for the priest has been a bull. Every day, they sacrifice a bull. But, when God speaks to Aaron through Moses, prescribes the sacrifice for Aaron to make for his own sins, the sins of Aaron, the sins he committed, what does God say? Take not a bull, but a bull calf. Take a bull calf and offer it as a sacrifice for your sin. The calf, Aaron, must die. The calf, Aaron, can no longer live with you. You, Aaron, must kill the calf. And he does. He does. Aaron offers his sin offering, the bull calf, and he receives cleansing from the Lord. He offers his burnt offering, a ram, and so he ascends like the smoke from the altar up into the presence of the Lord. And there, on behalf of the peoples, cleansed and consecrated, he offers the sin offering, then the burnt offering, then the peace offering on behalf of the people. Again, the order there matters. The peace offering, the fellowship meal between God and man, that's the ultimate goal of this whole thing. That's the finish line here. God and man sitting down to table together. But no one gets admitted to that table. No one gets to go and partake of that meal with sin and death on their hands. The burnt or ascension offering, this is where man dedicates their whole self to God. But no one does that with sin and death on their hands. See, if there's no purification for sin, there's no ascending before the Lord. And if there's no ascending before the Lord, there's no fellowship at table with the Lord. Purification for sin must come first. So Aaron goes to work. He kills the goat of the sin offering for the people. He sprinkles some of the blood on the altar. He kills the calf and the lamb for the burnt offering. 
of the people. He burns it all up on the altar, everything given to the Lord. He offers the ox and the ram for the peace offering for the people, burning some on the altar, retaining some for the, for the fellowship meal. Like the ordination of the priests in chapter eight, everything about the priests' actions on behalf of the people goes remarkably well. Five times over, we hear, as the Lord, or as Moses, commanded. But, what's the true test? The true, the true test will be whether or not the Lord actually appears. Remember, the Lord gave these instructions for the sacrifices, put them in motion because he said, today, I'm going to appear before you. But will he? Will he? Aaron completes his work on the altar. He lifts up his hands toward the people. He blesses them. And then he walks down from the altar. Now, I want you to put yourself there in that moment. Put yourself there in that crowd. I mean, really, really go there. Smell of blood and smoke in the air. The sight of the blazing fire on the altar. You're standing shoulder to shoulder in a sea of people, each looking up, looking around, trying to see what's going to happen now. Feel the tension within you as you look on and you try to see what's going to happen. Aaron comes down from the altar and you see he and Moses, and they turn and they begin their approach to the tent of meeting. And their aim is to go inside. When you see them start walking that way, all of a sudden, just a flood of fresh memories come rushing into your head. Memories of giving orders to Aaron. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Memories of the golden rings, the weight of them in your hand, the sound of them clanking together as you drop them into this growing pile of golden jewelry. Memories of the declaration, these, Israel, this image of a bull calf, these are your gods. Memories of rising early the next morning to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to that image and rising up to indulge in a riot of sin. All of that flashing before your mind as you see Moses and Aaron open the door and walk in to the tent. Now, you gotta remember, Aaron's not going in on his own right now. Aaron is representing you. That's his job. Literally, on his garments, inscribed all 12 tribes, including the tribe you're from, all 12 of them, written, inscribed upon his, his uh, vesture. 
in a very real way. He is carrying you upon his shoulders as he enters into this tent. What is going to happen? You see them go in and then the door shuts. It's just silence. Moses and Aaron don't die. Moses and Aaron don't die. They go in to the presence of God and they don't die. In fact, they come out again, hands raised, and they carry blessing with them from God to you. They come out and they bless you and then the glory of the Lord appears. Remember, this is the point of the whole thing. This is what we've been waiting for. Will God appear? And he does. A flame of fire shoots forth from the tent and consumes everything that lies upon the altar. God has said, today I will appear before you. And now he has. When you see it, the flame of fire shoot forth. Everything burn up immediately on the altar. The smoke ascend unto God. You fall on your face with a shout. And there, a man of dust with your face in the dust. All you can think is, God made a way for me. God made a way for me. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against my God. I dwell in the land of sin and death, yet my God made a way for me. The breach between he and I has been repaired. The union between he and I has been restored. God, he made a way for me. Friends, the Lord has made a way for you and me, sinners in the land of death. The copy and the shadow of this tent that we see in Leviticus, that copy, that shadow of the tent of the priesthood, it has given way to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So those of you who have received Jesus, you've received him as your great high priest, the mediator of a better covenant, though the one who he laid him very, his very self upon the altar for you. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, do you know where you get to live? See, all the Israelites who were there that day, all of them gathered at the tent that day. All of them who were not priests, yes, they received God's covering. But then they went home. They didn't stay at the tent. They didn't get to stay by the cloud of glory. They didn't get to dwell in the holy place. They went home. Brothers and sisters, do you know where you get to live? The Bible tells us we are a royal priest.
priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy place. That our very bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, flesh and blood, uh, tents of meeting with God. Brothers and sisters, do you know where you get to live? There's no cherubim with flaming swords standing between you and him. There's no cleft of the rock that you need to hide behind while his glory passes by. There's no covering of a curtain separating you from him. God has made a better way for you, a way through faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, a way into the true tent where you get to dwell before the face of God and you don't ever have to leave. That's where you get to live. That's where you get to spend your life. You live before the face of God. So, should you go home tonight, you see an empty room, you feel so alone, forgotten, left out. Remember, you live before the face of God. Should you go home tonight and get really angry about something, something at your work, something at your school, something with your family, and you just want to take out all that anger, all that poison, take it out on your spouse, take it out on your family, take it out on your roommates, anyone who will receive it, stop. You live before the face of God. Should you go home and feel tempted to turn on that show, put in that movie, click to that website, you live before the face of God. Should you go home and want to ignore your parents, disobey your parents, show them they aren't the boss of you anymore? Kids, teens, you live before the face of God. See, sin and death is for outside the camp. But when you go home tonight, you don't go outside the camp. Jesus stays with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The Father rejoices over you. You Christian, you gotta realize where we get to live. You live before the face of God. You spend your whole life there. There's no better place for you to be. So stay there. Stay there and leave the sin and the death outside camp to die and burn. Now, for those of you here with us today who are not believers in Jesus, those of you who have not repented of your sin, those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you at this moment have no covering before God. The holy God is coming and you will meet him. You'll either meet him in this life should Jesus return. You'll meet him at death should Jesus tarry. You will meet the holy God. And right now you have 
no covering for him. None. And I want to show you what that looks like. So, we'll turn to chapter 10, the people and the sins of the priests. Chapter 10 begins, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded. See, that glorious refrain that we saw over and over in chapter 8, over and over in chapter 9, that glorious refrain, as the Lord commanded, it comes to a halt here. Here we see something the Lord has not commanded. What exactly were Nadab and Abihu doing wrong? Perhaps it was the kind of incense that they brought before the Lord. Exodus 90 warns, you shall not offer unauthorized incense before the Lord. Maybe it was that. Was the source of the fire for the incense the problem? Perhaps they brought common fire instead of the holy fire upon the altar, as will be prescribed in Leviticus 16. Was it that they were not content to enter only into the holy place, but desired to go further into the most holy place. The argument for that one, I think, is particularly strong. But here's the deal. It may have been all three of those. It may have been none of those. At the end of the day, all we know is Nadab and Abihu, two priests, two guardians of the house of the Lord, standing within the courtyard of the Lord. They failed to obey the Lord and opted for their own way instead. These Adam-like figures in this Eden-like land, following the seven days of their ordination, disobeyed. And on the day they disobeyed, they died. Verse 2. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. See, the Lord was not messing around. He wasn't just playing hard to get. He wasn't putting unnecessary things in the path between the people and him. The Lord had said, my holiness is a danger to you. And the proper covering could only come through the way that the, that the Lord had made. Now here's the thing. Moses and Aaron went the way the Lord made. And when they did, they were blessed. Nadab and Abihu attempted to go their own way, and when they did, they were condemned. Those are the two options. You go the way the Lord has made, and you receive blessing. Or you attempt to make your own way, and you will not make it. Maybe you, my non-Christian friend here today, maybe you are kind to others. 
Maybe you do good to them. Maybe you are moral. Maybe you love your family. You treat others the way you yourself would like to be treated. Those things will earn you a pass in the eyes of man. Take note from the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. Those things don't work in the eyes of God. Don't be fooled. If you attempt to enter God's presence in a way of your own making, you will not make it. But listen, hear me. The Lord has made a way for you. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the one mediator between God and man. And guess what he says to you this morning? He says, come. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. Do you hear him knocking? Receive him. Receive the covering that only he can provide. Receive entrance into the presence of God with blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making a way for us. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you he died for us and was resurrected to show to us his sacrifice was accepted. The way is open. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not received Jesus, that they would receive him this morning, that they would be clothed in his righteousness, that they might appear before you. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are walking in faith, and yet they are stuck in their sin. It still has a hold on them in their life. I pray, God, but by your grace, they would leave that sin outside the camp and spend all their days near with you. We pray this, God, and ask that you do it. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, in just a minute here, we're going to receive the Lord's table. And I want to remind you, as we are about to prepare the elements, that this is a covenant meal for those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as we take the meal, we remember the death of Jesus for us. We're remembering the way that Jesus has made for us, and we give him thanks, and we look in hope to the day when we will eat this meal with him in the new heavens, in the new earth. Um, The line that uh, Mike said, that fellowship is the finish line. And so we, we eat, we eat and we drink today in Thanksgiving and in hope of that day to come. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in Jesus, I would ask that as the elements are being passed, you just would pass it, you just would skip it and not take the bread or the cup. Um, But I do want you to consider what Mike has said And perhaps today God will call you to put your faith in Jesus. 
You can trust him today. Right where you're sitting, you can put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you do trust in Jesus, then do receive the bread, receive the cup, and let us give thanks to him together. We're going to serve the bread first. The body of Jesus is the true bread. Let us serve you.